Good morning. Good morning. It's a beautiful day. Uh, my parents were asking me sometime back if this is the uh, freezing temperature that I was referring to. <laughs> I, I, I didn't want to scare them. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, God, for this beautiful Sunday morning you've given us. Good Lord, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the freedom to um, sit before your word, to uh, study from your word. Good Lord, as we go through uh, the character of Gideon, uh, help us, God, to learn from it. Talk to us through your Holy Spirit, through your word. Father God, I pray that uh, your message I'd be able to deliver, not my words, but your words, God. Father, we pray for the ones who are on the way. We pray for uh, a safe journey, a journey mercies be with them and bring them safe here. Uh, this we pray in the most precious and the mighty and matchless name of the Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> the <clears throat> name Gideon uh, brings back memories to me because my first Bible was one of those uh, blue Gideon's International Bibles. I don't know if you, do you have it here too? Okay. It was my brother who uh, got that to our house. Um, he, I think somebody who went to his uh, school and they, they gave uh, one of those Bibles, he got it home. I can't remember if he read it, but then he gave it to me was lying around home, and so I started reading that. And um, yeah, as I said, it was the, that soft-bound uh, blue one that says Gideon International with, I think, uh, Psalms, Proverbs, and the New Testament. So I started reading that, and uh, I didn't know anything about the Bible, right? It's the first time I'm reading that. And what is interesting to me at that time was those key verses that you see at the last few pages it says Matthew so, uh, chapter so-and-so, so-and-so. It, it just has the verse. What I found interesting was find that and then go to the actual book, try finding where is Matthew, and then I'm like, yeah, I found it. Go through those verses. And it doesn't sound that interesting to you guys now. But then first time when I read it, it seemed, I didn't know who Matthew was, who Mark was. One of the confusing things at that time was, why is that some of the stories, I, I felt like it was repeating the same stories in Matthew and then some of the books after that. I'm like, something must be wrong. Is this the right thing? Is, is that an error? It's late. I found out, okay, there were Gospels, and it's the apostles uh, saying the same story uh, in uh, the four different books. So it was good. And never in my wildest dreams did I think, uh, reading those verses that day from Gideon's International Bible, that I will be in Cincinnati one day talking to you guys in Northern Hills Bible Chapel about the character Gideon. Praise God. God's plans, right? And uh, just like Gideon himself, who's uh, at the threshing floor, I didn't think he ever thought that he's going to be the one um, delivering the Israelites from the uh, Midianites. Um, last time when I spoke about Samson, I uh, reminded how it was when Israelites bound, bounced back and forth from obeying God and from disobeying when they were in obedience and then disobedience, how God blessed them and then when they were in disobedience, God would let them be ruled by uh, their enemies. And Judges chapter 6 begins with uh, one such uh, oppression where they are oppressed by the Midianites. Israelites under, uh, are under the hands of uh, Midianites and unable to bear them, they are hiding in uh, dens and caves in the mountains. And uh, the Midianites would wait until the Israelites would plant the crops, 
and then after everything is done, they would come, they would steal everything, they would plunder, they'll take everything and go, and whatever is left, they would um, destroy them. And this was happening over and over again. This went on for seven years, and it was getting too old, and just like any other time, the Israelites uh, reached out to God, they cried out to God, asking God to deliver them. And then uh, this time, the person that God chose was Gideon. Uh, back to the story. So uh, God speaks to Gideon while he's in the uh, threshing floor. He says to, uh, God says to Gideon, you have to go and uh, save the Israel. And this is re- his response, Gideon's response in Judges chapter 6 and verses 13. Judges chapter 6 and verses 13. This is the response of Gideon to God when God tells to him, you, you are the chosen one, you are the one who is supposed to go and save the Israel from Israelites from uh, the Midianites. His response is, Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. It's a valid question, right? Like anybody would ask you, like, this is what we heard, but why is this happening? And what is God's response to that? Uh, Verse 14. Verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Wait, that's not an answer. Or it, uh, not the answer that uh, Gideon was looking for. It's it's a response, or it's it's another question. If I'd say right, it's it's ending like a question. Sometimes we, I was thinking, you know, we always want answers, right? We we want the answers that we think is the best answer. I'll put it that way. Uh, like God, why are you sending me to that place? God, why didn't I get that job? God, I've been preaching to this friend of mine for years, and uh, why? Uh, why is my desire not happening? Well, that's God's way of responding to things. And God's response in this case was what? And even to us, have I not sent you? Very powerful message. So uh, that happens, and then uh, after a little bit of convincing, Gideon um, uh, issued a call to the uh, Israelites, and then uh, they responded. Uh, They are ready to go into the battle. And Gideon is a little nervous now. And it's, it's one thing for a farmer to say, let's go into the battle, but then it's another thing to actually do it. Right? Like he's never done this. So he's a little nervous, especially when you have uh, 32,000 soldiers and your enemies have more than 100,000. So all, all the more reason to be nervous. 32,000 and more than 100,000, how much is that? Four times? So somewhere around four times uh, the size of Gideon's army is what uh, Midianites have. So Gideon gets into a little discussion with God. He tells, tell you what, God, let's uh, try this. So if you really want me to go, let's try this sign. Uh, I'm going to put a fleece on the ground, and next morning when I uh, wake up, uh, the whole ground should be dry, but can you keep the fleece wet? So he thinks, then I know that it's you, know. And then tomorrow morning he wakes up, he sees the ground is dry indeed, and then the fleece is wet. And like, okay, I think I get it. But then if you don't get annoyed, can I try it like one more time? 
Now, I want to make sure I'm not a fool and somebody is not setting this up. So can you, again, tomorrow, keep the fleece dry but the whole ground wet? I was actually picturing in my head, like, if somebody has to fool Gideon, how would that be? Like, it's really difficult to just keep the fleece in between dry and the whole ground wet. So Gideon seems to be smart in asking these kind of questions. It, if it is me, I would have done something else, I guess, if it's now. So he asks it, and next day he goes, that indeed is what's happening. It is uh, the whole ground is wet, but except the fleece. And Gideon is thinking to himself, God is serious. Like, uh, I better get to it. Now, some of you, as I said, might be thinking to yourself, next time when God is asking me to do something, or I feel I need to do something, some uh, uh, commandments, or God makes it obvious, maybe I should test God and ask for such signs. Absolutely not. Bible, as I said last time, never endorses this. It merely reports it. That is what makes Bible standard from any of the uh, scriptural books I said. Bible always records everything. It doesn't mean that we need to follow that. It's simply for us to learn from that. It's merely reports to say this is what happened. So it, that is not what Gideon should have done. So Gideon uh, is all excited. He has God's approval. Uh, he... He thinks, yes, uh, God wants me to go, so uh, nothing to worry about. He goes forward. Uh, Here's a farmer guy going to uh, defeat the giant army of Midianites. As I said, uh, he has 32,000 strong soldiers on his side. He has nothing to fear. He's like, I can do this. Uh, And what is God's response to that? God says, not so fast, Gideon. You have way too many people. Like, no, you cannot do this. Like, how can there be way too many people? It's, it's like uh, somebody said, there was an analogy of a boat. Let's say a boat can fit 50 people. 60 people can be more, okay? That's more. But then when you're going to an uh, arm, like a battle, an army cannot have more people, especially when your enemies have four times your size. How can 32,000 be more, right? It's like, the more, the better. But God's math was different, and more than that, God did not want this to be a Gideon thing. He wanted this to be a God thing. He did not want want them to think that the battle was won by Gideon's might, but instead, it was God who fought for them. I remember uh, reading this portion uh, after months or years. I got my uh, New Testament and Old Testament. I got one after years. My mom's friend gifted it to me. So I was reading this uh, portion. Uh, it felt almost like a movie. You know, here are 32,000 uh, strong people. Um, and then God is now asking, whoever is afraid, you may leave. And then how many leave? 22,000 leave. And then you have 10,000 fearless, uh, strong men. Like, yeah, it, it's, it's like one of those movies. Again, as I said, I've watched a lot of English movies. So in my mind, I'm picturizing that. For some reason, I think it's happening in the Western world. It's not. Uh, so 10,000 strong men, uh, Gideon is thinking, it's, it's less, but it's fine, it's doable. I have fearless 10,000 strong men. Why can't I? Uh, chapter 7 and verse 4. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. He shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. Then the Lord told him, 
Separate those who lap the water from, with their tongue as a dog laps from, their, from those who kneel down to drink. Verse 6. Three hundred of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs, and all the rest go down on their knees to drink. So I'll stop there. So in my mind, okay, you have these uh, 10,000 people, uh, and then God is taking them down, and then there are uh, about 300 of them who are lapping waters, uh, lapping water like dogs. In my mind, okay, uh, God is going to win this battle with the 9,700 uh, less weird people, let's put it that way. So 9,700 strong, fearless, less weird people. And then verse 7 happens. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. I was like, what? Why? You know, there, uh, there's a story of um, uh, a prayer meeting. I don't, this is a fact. Uh, I don't know the details. I heard this long ago. So there was a prayer meeting happening somewhere. And the preacher invited for that evening is a really popular preacher who has delivered hundreds of messages. Uh, he's been to different countries. He has a big qualification. He's written several books. So the host who is um, uh, introducing, the, who's supposed to introduce the preacher, he says, uh, the servant of God whom we have tonight is a really uh, powerful person. He's delivered hundreds of messages. He has so-and-so uh, qualification. Uh, he's traveled to so and so countries. We are pleased to have him. It is uh, we are so lucky to have him tonight. There's going to be a very strong message. He says all these things. Then he uh, welcomes the preacher. The preacher comes on stage, and then he uh, says, "Okay, let's start with the word of prayer." And his prayer goes something like this: uh, "Dear God, we thank you for this evening, uh, and we seek your pardon for the host." praising my name and bringing glory to my name instead of your name. And pardon me for enjoying that praise a bit. Uh, that happens a lot, right? Without us knowing, sometimes we secretly enjoy the glory that's supposed to go to God. And in this case, God was making sure that that is not happening. All glory to him. And he wanted to make it clear to Gideon that it is nothing about him. And saying, like, it's, it's very difficult at times, even in church or outside. Uh, the Bible says anything you do, do it for the glory of God. It's very difficult, uh, especially in this point of time where you think uh, you're doing the work for the Lord and where you want attention to yourself or you think you want some glory. So now at this point, there are 300 people. I, I think maybe Gideon is running this in his mind. I need to double check the validity of this plan. Now, uh, from 32,000 men to 300 uh, so there's some doubt running in his head, and God tells him, you know what, if you don't truly believe, uh, let's do another thing. I will let you go down to the camp, and you can uh, sneak into the camp. You can find out what, uh, what the soldiers are talking, like what is the impression of Israelites on the Midianites. So he lets them do that. Gideon uh, uh, goes down to the camp. He sneaks around, and he he hears these two soldiers talking to themselves, where one of the guys is uh, telling the other person, I had this dream uh, where a round big loaf of bread came rolling down and then it uh, tumbled all our tents. It, it, uh, it went upside down. It flattened all our tent. And the other guy said, this can mean only one thing. This can mean that the Gideon and his men are going to 
defeat us. They're going to take us. Like one of the preachers said, it's a good thing that I was not there. Because I would have said that this dream meant you, God is asking you to be a baker. Uh, and which would have done no good to uh, Gideon. But Gideon took this, as a, uh, this dream as a sign and interpretation of sign that God is giving the Midianites into uh, the hands of Gideon and his men. So he divided his group of 300 into three. That's 100 each. He gave them uh, two things, three things. Uh, a horn in one hand and in the other hand uh, a jar inside which there was a torch. When, uh, when it's midnight, they would blow the uh, horn, they would break the jar, and then they would reveal the torches. Uh, that was a sign, and uh, God strategically uh, play, uh, made the Midianites kill themselves, and whoever did not get killed fled in confusion. So it was uh, a, a clean victory, uh, and God was the one who won the battle. Now, that's the story of Gideons. I think we're done. I'm just kidding. There are a few obvious lessons that we have to learn from this little story. Right? I'll, I'll take you through uh, three points. First one is, God will find you wherever you are. Chapter 6, verse 11 is where there is the first mention of uh, Gideon. Gideon is at the uh, threshing floor. He's an ordinary farmer guy doing his work. Uh, you know, one of the things I myself and I've heard from others and throughout the Bible we read is it's one of the biggest lies that the devil tells us unless you're special, you cannot do any work for God. Right? Unless you're a super important, special person, uh, you, you cannot do anything much for God. Can uh, somebody read First Peter uh, chapter 1, sorry, chapter 2, verses 9, loudly. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Can somebody read that for me? Preferably an IV. First Peter chapter two, verse nine. Yep. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people from God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness. Yeah, you're a chosen people, royal priesthood, and a holy nation. And NIV uses the word God's special position. Why are we called the chosen people? And are we really God's special position? As I said, God, devil wants us to believe the lie that God does uh, things only through uh, special people. We are all special people. God does not do things because we are special people, uh, people. Instead, we are special because we are God's. Right? God was willing to send his son to die for us. He loved us so much that he would come himself down. I'm yet to be uh, a father, but I already love my daughter. Uh, my parents always say they miss me when they're in India. And when they're here now, they're saying they miss my brother and my sister. <laughs> I can't imagine how uh, a father would let his son uh, die for others. But that's exactly what happened. Because you and I are so special, Jesus Christ willingly came down uh, to the earth. He lived 33 years. He uh, went to the cross. He died on the cross. He was laid in the tomb for three days. He, w- he rose again. 
And willingly he did that, not because uh, you and I are special. He did that willingly because he loved us. Special has nothing to do with how you look, who you are, what your education is, what your financial status is, what your skin color is. It doesn't matter. But special has everything to do with who we are and who, uh, who created us. Right? The fact that we were created in the image of God makes us unique, individual, special human being. It's the same God who created the heavens and the earth. It's the same God who created everything we see around us. I've said this many times. If you've been to Creation Museum, you see how big and vast the universe is. And you know that the one who created us uh, uh, knows that we are special and he's made us so perfectly. Psalms 139 and 14 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Now, throughout the Bible, God uses regular, Bible, uh, regular people like you and I. If you, if you were looking for special people, you wouldn't find any. Gideon, Isaac, Jacob, Elisha were what? Farmers. Uh, Abel, Joseph, uh, Moses, Amos, and David were shepherds. Noah was a shipbuilder. Peter, James, and John were fishermen. Matthew was a tax collector. God will find you wherever you are. Point two, just because you have questions doesn't mean that uh, you are unfaithful. It's okay to have questions. Uh, it's, some people think it's a sin. I, I became a Christian when I was in seventh grade. So after a few years, uh, during my freshman year, uh, I started studying astrophysics. That was one of the subjects in uh, my freshman year. And the more I studied, uh, firstly, I started thinking, like, how small am I? And then I started having all these questions. They're talking about the um, stars and how they're formed. It takes millions and billions of years to form. I like, okay, but the Bible says something else. And then how uh, we were formed, different things. I started having questions. Remember, we, I was discussing this with my friend then who was a Christian. Uh, the whole family was. I was discussing this with him, and his mom heard us talking. And um, uh, she was like, you know, it's even a sin to think about all these things. Like, I had the classic question, okay, uh, if I was created, when was God created? The whole timeline thing. She was like, no, 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 you're not supposed to think about all this. It's a sin. Uh, I was not that very convinced with the answer. Like, now, uh, the Bible tells me that uh, love your heart with all your, sorry, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. I believe the mind part is to love him intellectually, not because he's asking us to follow him, because you understand who he is. Right? We try our best to, uh, with how much he's revealed to us through his holy word. We try and understand who he is. And I don't think it's a sin to ask questions when you don't know it. Uh, but like the, the astrophysics part, but the more I understood about the world and the universe, the more I understood that I was a little being and I am fearfully and wonderfully made and I am a special being. And I praise God even more, not less. Um, you know, we read this uh, previously, this verse, uh, chapter 6, verses 13. Uh, Gideon says, uh, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where, wa- where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Gideon questions God, but as I said previously, God 
wouldn't always answer the way he, uh, the way we think is the best answer. But for sure, there will always be what? A response. There is always a response from God. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in strength and you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? God is telling that you don't have, you didn't need to know everything. But since you asked, I'm letting you know that I am the one who is sending you. That much you need to know. That's enough. After all, he is God and we aren't. Right? And um, Gideon probably knew the answer to that question. Uh, the question in uh, verses 13 about why did you leave us and all that. Gideon already knew. The answer is that what? God did not leave the Israelites. But instead, it's the Israelites who moved. Right? There's this old story of a, a farmer and his wife in a pickup. So the farmer and the, uh, his wife, they were going in pickup, and his wife turns to the farmer and asks, you know what, why don't we sit all uh, snuggled and cozy like before? Why aren't we doing it like before when we got married? And the farmer turns to his wife and says, I hadn't moved. God never abandoned the Israelites. It was the Israelites who abandoned God. And it took hard times for them to come back to the God. And it takes sometimes for us to it takes hard times for us to sometimes come back to God. So questioning is fine if uh, if you're close to God, the Holy Spirit will definitely talk to you. He will give you the answers. Definitely not the way you want it sometimes all the time, but there will always be a response. Uh, we see the Bible is filled with questions like that, right? It's it's never a sin to question. Uh, Abraham asked, "How will I father a nation when?" Uh, I haven't fathered a son. And then Moses asked, how can I comfort uh, Pharaoh when I can't even speak well? And then uh, we see, if you read through Psalms, we see David asking, why, when, how, uh, where? Uh, Mary asks, uh, how can I have a son when I'm still a virgin? And then Jesus Christ himself asked, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So it's filled with questions. It, it absolutely made no sense to send 31,700 people go home and fight the battle with just 300 men against more than 100,000. Uh, and it's okay for, it was okay for Gideon to ask, why, God, why did you do that? The answer is in uh, chapter 8, verses 23. But before we read that verse, let's think about a scenario when, uh, where Gideon would have gone to the battle with the 32,000. You know, it'll be... Uh, let's say he won the battle. So he went to the with 32,000, he won the battle, and uh, it's after the battle what happened. It, it's like an interview with the uh, Indian cricket team. Okay, you guys don't play cricket. Uh, what's that? <laughs> Baseball. So uh, there's an interview, okay, after the uh, win, and the captain of the team. Do you have captain? Okay, you have captain. So the interview is with the captain of the team. Like, uh, sir, how did you win? Like, what do you think? Like, no, we had this uh, strategy to uh, win the game. We uh, strategically placed the uh, uh, batsmen or uh, batsmen and uh, bowlers or pitchers in the right place uh, right after the first uh, uh, over, which is six balls. I don't know. So right after that, we knew how the game was going. We knew uh, who was weak, who was strong. We placed them here and there. And uh, so that's how we won. Translating it to Gideon, It'll be like, you know, we, we know that the uh, victory was inevitable. It is, um, we, we had the best of 32,000 men. Midianites were actually nothing in front of us. 
we, we knew we were always going to win, but then we wanted them to have these few years just so that they'd feel good. And we let them all that so that we'd anyway win in the end. That is what Gideon's response may have been. But instead, what happened? Uh, I mean, that would have happened. And then verse 8, verses 22. We read, then the Israelites said to Gideon, be our ruler, you and your son and your grandson will be our rulers, for you have rescued us from Midian. Right? That's what the Israelites are saying, you be our ruler. It's not a bad career move. A, far, a farmer to a king one day, I'll take that. Uh, but the response, uh, the Gideon's response, and the answer to the question why is in uh, 8.23. But Gideon replied, I will not rule over you, nor will my son. The Lord will rule over you. That's the answer, right? And Gideon very well knew it was the Lord who won the battle. It was not him. Now, translated to today's time, it doesn't mean that you have to always say, uh, I didn't have anything to do with it. It's fine to say, uh, God worked it through us. But the Real question is, are you willing to be a Gideon? Are you willing to allow God to do great things through you? That's the question. Uh, that ends the second point. The, last, uh, the third and last point, uh, last uh, application for us is God wants us to trust him. You know, although God plays along with uh, Gideon's fleece test, uh, but when it comes to the actual battle with this uh, reducing it to 300, the whole purpose was God wanted Gideon to trust on him. Right? It's the faith, it's the trust that God wants to have on him. The same happens um, in our lives. We have various cushions that often uh, comfort us. The uh, cushion of uh, jobs that we think, I have a good job that will take me through uh, my retirement. Uh, I'm in good shape in terms of my health. I don't think I need to worry about. I don't think I need anybody's help. Uh, when I come to church, I didn't think I need to uh, do that job because there's somebody else to do the job. It's not meant for me. But all these things we can only hide for so far, and God will pull you out of the threshing floor. He will pull you out of your comfort zone someday, and on that day, uh, to do his amazing work, all that you can do is just trust on him and nothing else. No matter, no matter what resources you have, he will bring it down to 300 and you will have to rely on him that day. Uh, whatever seems impossible, you will work it through God. Um, and at that time, as I said, it's the only thing that will help us is the trust on him. It's the faith uh, on the Lord. Uh, I'd like to close with uh, a little story about faith. Uh, it's titled, The Child Who Brought an Umbrella for Prayer. You might have already heard this. The Child Who Brought an Umbrella for Prayer. It goes like this. The rains failed again that year. It was a third year in succession and there was no rain. The crops had disappeared and the land was a brown uh, swath of dusty rubble. Trees had lost their leaves years ago and stood out like uh, silhouettes of cactus on the dusty horizon. There was a stream that skirted the village in years bygone. Now the riverbed was dry where once flowed clean fresh water from the nearby mountains, 
There now was a bed of clay, cracked in checkboard pattern with gaps as wide as a foot. No one knew what had happened to the birds except for the vultures that circled the town, looking for a carcass of animals that was left dying. There was famine in the land. People walked around like sticks, sans flesh, surviving on whatever ration was brought to them by various international charities. Desperate for help, the people of the village held a meeting under a big banyan tree that was as old as a village. Let us pray, said an elderly woman. Only God can help us now. There ensued a big debate as to where to hold the prayer. There was no consensus. Exhausted, they decided to hold their prayer in, an open, in, in the open late that night, under the open sky away from the town. It was a full moon night, and the moon shone with its alluring brightness against a background of shimmering stars. Amongst the people gathering for a prayer, a little girl holding hands with a young brother came running from a nearby village, holding high an umbrella over their heads. Huffing for breath, they stood there, looking up, umbrella still unfurled. The gathered crowd could not help but turn around and wonder what was going on. Some were curious, others were annoyed, and some were even furious as they kept being poked by the spokes of the umbrella. Finally, a curious bystander asked, Why did you bring the umbrella? Can't you see there is no rain, and we have come here to pray for rain? Only a foolish person would stand on a clear night like this with an open umbrella. We are here to pray for the rain. Yes, indeed, chimed the two young siblings. We came to pray too. We are certain that our prayer will be answered and it will rain. That is why we brought this big, colorful umbrella. Matthew 7, chapter 7, verses 7 and 8 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who searches, finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Now sometimes we ask and we don't receive. We search, we don't find. We knock and the door sometimes still remains shut. What are we praying for and uh, what, do you do, what do you bring for your prayer? What is the umbrella that you bring for your prayer? Let's close with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, God, for this beautiful message you've given us. Good Lord, when our numbers are reduced to 300, good Lord, help us to trust on you. Father, when we pray, when you send circumstances into our lives, help us to rely on you. Father, help us to analyze the uh, umbrella in our life. Do we believe in uh, and do we remain faithful in the little things you, uh, you keep us in charge, you send us in our ways. Father, help us to be strong, be courageous. Help us to rely on you, trust on you for everything. Father God, as we go to worship you, we pray that uh, our, the heart, mind, and soul, we acknowledge, we remember what you did for us on that cross. Thank you, God, for sending your son, Jesus Christ. This we pray in the most precious and matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.